the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report and great to be together. Today's wink, what you need to know is actually it could be I I could have done this as a uh, book review uh, because I'm going to spend a bunch of time talking about a book. uh, But because uh, the reason why is because the context The context is this. The U.S. Supreme Court has taken the case, the cases, excuse me, one of the three cases that were uh, seeking um, a review on what's called the 1512 charge. You may have heard. I'm sure you heard a lot about it. And I've been talking about it for weeks and months and uh, Julie Kelly writing about it. And the uh, and the notion here or the reason that this is so important is because the uh, U.S. Supreme Court is now going to consider what is the key charge for most, maybe I should say many, if not most, of the January 6th uh, arrests and prosecutions. So welcome again. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Visit ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there for my Substack where I write on these topics. And also please visit com. Get signed up there for the daily email, the daily wink, what you need to know. So here's the deal. A, a few years ago now, A book was published and the book was published by someone I had not heard of. I had not heard of this author and the book was published. I think I was referred the book, I believe, by uh, Newt Gingrich, Um, maybe even personally by him. But certainly I was told about uh, him and the book had been I think it was originally self-published and self-published by this very uh, well-respected attorney who had been a prosecutor for a decade and who had also uh, then gone into private practice and was well known as a very gifted appellate attorney. Her name is Sidney Powell. And the book is called is named License to Lie, License to Lie. If you go to License to Lie dot com, License to Lie dot com, you'll see all the background on this and a lot of background on Sidney's career before she was famous for being uh, General Flynn's lawyer. And before she was famous for fighting for election uh, integrity, she was a very um, well-respected attorney in private law practice uh, nationally, actually, but also based in Texas. And before that, she'd been a prosecutor. Anyway, the book, again, the website's LicensedToLie.com. The book is called License to Lie. Here's the subtitle of the book, Exposing Corruption in the Department of Justice. Now, I received this book, Again, remember, this is before Sidney Powell is working for General Flynn. I received this book. I read it. I can't believe it. 
The book is is it's a it's described, I think, in the in one of the headings or one of the sales uh, places as a legal, a legal thriller, a true legal thriller, true legal thriller, meaning it's a legal thriller, but it's about true stuff. And in this book, Sidney Powell goes through in extraordinary detail. In fact, on LicensedToLie.com, you'll see links, a link there for all of the sources for all the chapters in her book. But it goes into how the Department of Justice went and destroyed uh, Arthur Anderson, the big you know accounting firm for decades and decades, and they destroyed it, the prosecutors, the Department of Justice, through their choices and direct choices. They also uh, targeted Merrill Lynch executives who were uh, involved with Enron, but they were executives. They were Enron was the one that was lying, and the Merrill Lynch executives were targeted in a very specific way. And also Alaska Senator Ted Stevens, who he's now deceased. He died in a plane crash, but he lost his seat because they prosecuted him for this uh, a crazy theory of corruption that was not true. It turned out to be not true. He was vindicated, but not before he lost his seat in the U.S. Senate. But here's what happens when you read this book, License to Lie. You understand the, I I would say, the beginning of what we're seeing today. And it's not just lawfare. There was a period of time where lawfare was a description of, you know, you might be in business and you got sued. And and, and I bet you there would be big businessmen and women that would say, oh, remember when the plaintiff's bar, the, the, the lawyers got out of control and they used Ralph Nader and they they sued us all. And they were but they were private transactions. What happened over the last 30 or 40 years was that the government in particular realized that they could engage in lawfare. Now, I know, I know there's some people that are sitting out there that are listening. Maybe they're more liberal broadly. And then they're saying, hey, prosecutors in this country have been targeting people for a long time. I maybe I'm wrong. Okay, uh, in saying that, I think it's gotten so dramatically bad in the last 30 years. Maybe it's true that it, it was bad in the 40s, 50, 60 years ago, and that I just didn't see it because I, I, I'm not looking in the same way or closely enough on in terms of other law enforcement and prosecutions. But as to what Sidney Powell describes about the targeting of American citizens and businesses by the government. You know, I just finished an interview. I had to pre-record it with Catherine Engelbrecht. One of the things about Catherine Engelbrecht's story that's just haunting is that she was being investigated at various times for her nonprofit work called True the Vote back in 2011, 2011. And she was at five or six federal agencies And they have unlimited lawyers. They have unlimited budgets in terms of there's nothing that runs them out. It's not it's not like a a fair fight when you're a nonprofit started by a husband and wife. That's Catherine Engelbrecht's original story. And you're you're being uh, audited and and assaulted on every side in terms of legal, not 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 physical assault, but, uh, uh, you know, onslaught. That's a better word. So license to lie goes through this in in detail. And at the center of this are some characters that come up and and come around all the way down to today. Andrew Weissman, he she described in the book as the lead villain in this legal thriller, in this true legal thriller. And that guy is at the heart of this. And, and here's where it gets interesting. Here's why I'm bringing it up. It was after Enron, after the targeting of Merrill Lynch executives, after the destruction of Arthur Anderson by prosecution choices, and they try, they wrap themselves in the in the white flag and the white hat like we're the heroes here. We're we're taking down the cheaters. Well, Enron was cheating, but Arthur Anderson and Merrill Lynch anyway. They, the way they did it was viciously 
power hungry and powerful. But here's what I want to tell you. It was at that time that based on the white hat they were wearing, oh, we've got to regulate these guys. We've got to change the laws. They came up with this 1512 obstruction of official proceeding, and they justified Andrew Weissman, the creation of this, so that you'd have this very loose felony charge that you could say, well, obstruction of official proceeding. Well, there was official proceeding. In this case, it's the electoral college count. In this case, the other case, it could be other things you do. If you do something that disrupts some official proceeding, loosely understood, you can be charged with a felony. Now, it doesn't happen if you if you disrupt the Kavanaugh hearings and you're uh, code pink or uh, Antifa types. No, 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 you don't get charged with that. I mean, that does there's a, the double standard will be used. The hypocrisy will be uh, 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 generally used, I mean, uh, broadly used in favor of the political interests. But we are to the point where lawfare has gotten so much more specific, so much more uh, focused, and back to this point. It's the Catherine Engelbrecht point. They're using government against we the people. And government, by definition, they're using our money, and they don't run out of money. They have more lawyers. If you go to if you go to a January 6th case and down in the, in the in the in the courthouse, I've been to dozens of them. There'll be a lawyer for the January 6th defendant. And on the Department of Justice side, there'll be at least three, sometimes four and more backup and backup on backup. And so the, the fight is not fair. And the same people in the same circles, uh, Andrew Weissman and his ilk, they're the ones that organized the 65 project, which by name said we're going to go after attorneys. Sidney Powell's one of them. Rudy Giuliani's one of them. Jenna Ellis is one of them. Uh, uh, um, uh, Professor Eastman, Dean Eastman is one of them. Jeff Clark is one of them. And they said we're going to go after the lawyers and make them pay. Make them pay with bar complaints. Make them pay by spoiling their firms. Cleta Mitchell, very prominent lawyer, forced out of her law firm, basically. Successful law practice for 25 years, 30 years. Because they didn't want to be called because of the pressure. You're, you're seeing the distortion of our legal system and you're seeing, and here's the payoff, license to lie. They have a license to lie. They're the government. They think they have a license to lie. They think they'll be never held accountable. They cycle in and cycle out. They go into government work, then they go out. They go to law firms or they go to, uh, to, to Georgetown Law School or NYU Law School. I think that's where Weissman is. They make a lot of money. By being in and out of the system. So here's my pitch. If you want to understand what's happening in this country, if you want to understand with more depth what it means, what the 1512 charge means, how it's being misused and all, you must go and buy a copy of License to Lie by Sidney Powell. The best place to buy it is right on her website, by the way, licensetolie.com. And you need to read it and study it and understand it. And when you do, you will have a sense of what we're up against. Because as I've said over and over again, the crown jewel of America is our constitution and our rule of law and we the people. In other words, in other countries, they have a crown jewels. England, they have crown jewels, big, big jewels, you know, big uh, tiaras and, and uh, crowns. Ours is our constitution, the rule of law and uh, we the people. And it's being assaulted by the people who are doing this. And that's what License to Lie shows. All right, we got to take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Get that book. Be right back.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, one of my favorite people to talk to off the air, we've talked to her on the air a number of times, is Catherine Engelbrecht, in part because she's been through, I mean, almost every aspect of grassroots organizing, of messaging, of even lawfare uh, in a huge way. She's probably the original uh, uh, target of lawfare, I have to say. She's the founder of True the Vote and uh, has been fighting and talking about uh, the issues around election integrity, I don't know, for almost 13, 12, 13, 14 years. I don't know what the number is. And uh, she's with us now. Welcome, Catherine. How are you? Hey, Ed. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you. And thanks for all your help. So the specific conversation I want to have with you, I'm having it with a few people, is the question of due process. I tell people the crown jewel of America is our constitution and the rule of law, and that the system is sort of fair, honorable works. And you've been through, you really are the, the poster girl, I'm sorry, for for lawfare, for lawfare. I mean, in every aspect of your life, professionally and otherwise, they've tried to come and use the law against you. Well, yeah, that's very true. I wish it weren't. I wish I weren't the poster child for that. But <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it really for us started back in in uh, 2011. And it was it was unheard of what was happening at the time with all of the, the different agencies uh, coming after us in, in audits and investigations that ultimately led to a lawsuit. And, and uh, that lawsuit continues. Oh, we sued the IRS in 2013. That lawsuit continues to this day. Absolutely an effort to just wear you down, drain your resources, fracture your time. And what was so Rare then is is sadly commonplace today, and we are at a point where the conversations, like what you're having, are, are critical. We have to understand how far is too far, and what what does it look like to, to press and stress the system as much as, be, as as is being done now, and what comes next. Uh, Catherine Engelbrecht's our guest. And again, uh, we're, we're talking about a due process um, and the idea that the system is supposed to work in the early days when you were targeted for your efforts and you first were, you know, figuring it out. Did you say to yourself, well, th- this isn't personal? I mean, were you sort of, I hate to say it, naive at that point saying this isn't personal, this, this must be or was there a sense right away that you were being targeted? How did you and then how did it over time it became more obvious and it sort of was like, well, we're not going to even hide. We're, we're targeting you. Well, you, that's, that's exactly all those things are true. I when it first began, you know, prior to starting through the vote, which I started it in sort of paperwork filing in 2010, started it in, 20, in 2009, but filed all our nonprofit paperwork in 2010. And it was like the filing of that paperwork was the dog whistle that a group of, you know, I don't know if you want to call them the left or the Obama administration or globalists, or we, there's so many different names out there, but I would say they all fit. Just decided that our effort needed to be kneecapped early. And they set about doing just that. And so it, it, it was, a, it was a crush of it within 18 months, I went through 23 different audits or investigations from five different government agencies, ultimately leading, as I mentioned, to our trying to draw the line in the sand by suing the IRS and, and putting them back on their heels. And I testified before Congress a number of times. And I think it had a I think it had a, 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 a positive impact in, in stopping some of what is, was going on with us. But of course, it led to a much greater exposure. That's when we learned about Lois Lerner's leadership in targeting not just True the Vote, but many organizations and the scandal that emerged from from all of it. Um, yes, I felt absolutely like I could hear the, the wings of the black helicopter over my shoulder <laughs> and didn't, you know, and didn't know what to make of it because there's, you know, when you're going through audits and investigations in such rapid succession, who do you tell? I mean, this was, again, well before I, I knew now, sadly, I know many people 
that that have been through something similar or worse. But at the time, I I knew of no one and and the stigma of trying to start a small little organization and not being able to get our nonprofit status cleared through the IRS and 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 being investigated by OSHA and BADF and it just it was so overwhelming. Um, but what I learned through that process is that 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 when government becomes tyrannical in those ways, uh, the the duty of, of every citizen is to speak out about it and to, and to let it be known so that it, it can be rectified. If we just let it happen in silence, it mm-hmm. will continue and, and only get worse. So, so yes, things have continued to slide and erode. I'm sorry to say, but it's also high time now that we speak loudly and without ceasing about the need to preserve our rights um, or we, or they certainly will be lost. The strange scenario, I mean, one of the things we talk about with due, due process is that, you, you know, you have a right to counsel. And there's been cases about that, especially for people, you know, you, you know, that you'll hear criminal, indigent criminal uh, clients. They said, you know, always they'll appoint a, a, a lawyer if you don't have the means for one. But in the case of somebody like you, you were an indigent, of course, and and you but uh-huh. you were faced with a, a an opponent, the government and the prosecutors and others that were they didn't have to worry about who paid their legal bills. And so the two things that you mentioned the word stigma and then and then the reality of the cost at a certain point it becomes harder and harder to to uh to succeed at getting a lawyer and so you say well i'm going to fight back i'm going to raise my voice but you you can't afford it and most and many lawyers say well you know i really believe in you Catherine, but i i i got a practice that's doing other things right now right, right? i mean that, it's it's so so your right to counsel is dramatically diminished because of the opponent which is the government Oh, yeah, absolutely. Again, absolutely right on all counts. Um, you know, we've seen uh, lawyers that are not necessary that we've tried to align with that weren't necessarily in this for you know the, the good of the law, but rather the the opportunity to, to you know make money and make right. a name. And we've had to learn some hard lessons along the way. Um, and yes, you're exactly right that at this point in time, it's more and more difficult to find a council because you've got you've got so many that that don't want to risk uh their their otherwise um you know successful practices for for going out on a limb and and uh, taking on the government and it and it doesn't i mean it leaves scars for sure when you take these kinds of cases on so yes i i mean um we have been very 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 blessed to, even though it's been extremely difficult and we have spent millions and millions of dollars just in legal fees and, and, and spend it every year incredibly. Um, and I wish we didn't, I mean, it's, it turns my stomach to think that, that this is what it's become, but it's, it's just where we are and it, it is what it takes to stay standing in this fight and fight. We must. And so we've just, we've been fortunate that God has been good to give us just enough light, just enough light for the step that we are on. We are, you know, currently upside down in legal bills. It's, it's an, it's an everyday struggle, but we have to stay fighting. We must stay standing and push through this to some, to, to, to some conclusion that, that finds us on the, you know, on the right side of history and, and not just, just going, you know, quietly into the night. We've got to stay fighting. Uh, Catherine Engelbrecht is our guest. I just have a couple minutes left, Catherine. One more aspect of this. I mean, I, I, again, I always say that the, the crown jewel of America is our, our constitution, the rule of law, and that we uh, operate that way. And when it seems to me that they're trying to take the crown crown jewel away from us. But one aspect of this is, is, is would you th- do you think that there should be more uh, 
uh, transparency is the easy word, but more publicity. I mean, one of the problems is a lot of this stuff is happening. The government's operating where we can't tell what they're doing, you know, and a lot of times they say ongoing investigation can't answer even Congress's question or or a local jurisdiction. It feels like that's another part of this that is, you know, you, you should be able to have a public and and identifiable airing of things and not be dealing with this sort of so much secrecy. Am I over reading that? How do you react to that? No, you're, you're exactly right. And I'll give a prime example just in, in a more curated space is, is election integrity elections itself themselves. You know, the process should be, uh, I'll use the term radically transparent with the exception of the secrecy of who you vote for all the rest of the process. There, there are laws to support and guide and procedures to, to codify how we go from registering a voter to managing the voter rolls, to processing the vote, to counting the votes, all of those things in state by state have, have processes that are um, written with great detail, but yet they are not being followed. And, and so then you, you, you must ask yourself, why, why would that be? Why would they just allow a process to erode to a place that now the citizenry increasingly the citizenry doesn't trust the outcome of the elections. It's true in any, you know, in any aspect that where you find, we find ourselves now sort of in the crosshairs of lawfare. If the process was, was transparent, people would be giving greater confidence. Certainly it's true in the case of January 6th and the videos that, that have been, you know, promised and then withheld and promised and withheld and lost and all of the shenanigans that are going on behind the scenes. It must be publicized. We are creating all of us, you, Ed, creating a new path to tell these stories in 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 ways that are long overdue. So yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yes, it's a, that's a great that was a great transition. Thank you. That's exactly why I wanted to talk with Catherine Engelbrecht again, the founder of True the Vote and does so many uh, things as a, a public figure and a, a public voice for us. We're up against the break. I got to run. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Again, my listeners know this, Ken. Our next guest is Kenneth Raposa, and he is a, a journalist who has uh, written and lived all over the world. Uh, everything from uh, written in the USA Today and and every uh, the, the nation, Salon.com, in the back in the glory days of Salon. And he has a perspective, particularly on America and the globalists and what's happening in terms of competition. And so welcome back, Ken. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me back, Ken. I shouldn't do that to you. I shouldn't say Ken. Ken, it's Kenneth Raposa. I don't know if you like no, no, to be called. No, you can call me Ken. Okay, Ken, good. Ken, <laughs> Ken, is my, Ken is my big boy name. That's my, <laughs> All that's right. my, and it's interesting in, in the in the introduction to me because I haven't written for salons since the '90s, and and like now, if if you know the typical salon reader would read me and, and their head would explode. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Exactly. That's right. I was I was a maggot. <laughs> something like that. Exactly. Know, that, that's why the world is so interesting because you're right. Back then, salon was actually just a trailblazer. Now it's. It uh, you know, it's 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 lunatics. Um, and so I should have said the Wall Street Journal, but that makes our people wonder who's who's Ken Raposa. What's he going to do? All right. So now, listen, you were saying off the air, this is a fantastic point. And this is right in Phyllis Schlafly, my old bosses, the late Phyllis Schlafly's wheelhouse in terms of the kingmakers and the globalists and what you see. And so explain to our listeners the the insight you have and where you see things playing out. 
Sure. Well, I think the best picture to describe the battle that's at stake between China and the United States, which really was brought to the fore in the Trump years, was on full display at the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Meeting in San Francisco two weeks ago. Uh-huh. And I'm not talking about how the San Francisco government was finally able to clean the streets because Xi Jinping came to town. Right. Now I'm sure the streets are back to the glory days of what they looked like before Xi came. Right. I'm talking about the $40,000 a plate dinner yep. with Xi Jinping, where the likes of Tim Cook and Elon Musk and other masses of the universe from Silicon Valley were there to greet him. And they gave him a standing ovation. Yep. So. The reason they give she a standing ovation is because she is talking about, hey, guys, let's hug it out. Let's stop this trade war. Let's stop this battle, let's, these export restrictions that we got going on. And let's go back to the good old days. We're all in business. We want, to, we want to do business together. And that's what these guys who gave Xi a standing ovation want. They want to go back to the pre-trade war days, the pre-Trump days, and they want to hug it out with Xi. And this is an advantage to Xi and also for these effect elite established business leaders of the country, because to them, China was always where it was at until, of course, Trump came to town and put it wrench in that machine. And for China, this is a great play as well, because when you sign a peace deal, so to speak, and end the trade war, all of a sudden, all those guys who gave Xi a standing ovation, who some may call traitors to the United States, would just move everything offshore again. They would invest money into China, which they're not doing now because of geopolitics. All yep. the money that Biden spent on the Inflation Reduction Act to throw money at solar and EV battery makers, gone. Why? Why would I need to make a solar panel in the United States? I'll just import it for my best friends in China. Why does, why does Ford need to contract Cato, a, a Chinese company, to make uh, car batteries for its Ford Lightning when they could just have them made in China? Why am I paying guys in Detroit? Why am I paying Detroit union workers, you know, 20 bucks an hour? I'll get it made in China for five. What, why? Right. What's the point? Well, the point is they do that because they get tax subsidies and they get breaks and, and there's political risk. But if, there's, if all that's gone, which is what she obviously wants and what those standing old guys obviously want, there's no need to make any of those things here. So in the battle between Beijing and Washington, it's really what I say, two against one. You have Washington on one side, you have Beijing on the other. And in the corner of Beijing is Silicon Valley, Wall Street, and the titans of American industry who are rooting as much for China, if not more so, than they are for us plebs here in the United well, States. And Ken Repose is our guest. He's an industry analyst, among other things, a journalist, uh, too, I mentioned. But he uh, industry analyst over at the Coalition for a Prosperous America, which is an, an organization that promotes, specifically represents American manufacturers and producers. And you can hear that in, in his uh, perspective, saying, hey, what's going on here? Um, Ken, uh, a couple things here. One, has the Biden administration been able to turn off the tariffs and the sort of protectionism, if that's what you want to call it, but the 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 idea of bringing work, uh, bringing uh, uh, American jobs back? Have they been able to stop that because the, in these couple of years or is it are they slowing it? In other words, is is the 2024 election coming soon enough to keep us, if you believe in American manufacturing, to keep us in, in that in what Trump started. Okay, two things. I will say that the Biden administration, for all that's been said about him as being, you know, in China's back pocket and so on, and though he's obviously thrown China some bones for sure, he has kept with the Trump policy. So we have the Section 301 tariffs, which is what 
Trump imposed some $300 billion worth of Chinese goods that were tariffed. Those are still in place. There will be some exemptions, right? So there might yep. be, and again, some people will, uh, uh, you know, some people who are really pro-tariff, including uh, my organization, will will complain about that. But in reality, there's so many products that are tariffed. So it might be something like, oh, this uh, two-cylinder, you know, gas-powered motor. You know, right. Used right. for like a... a, a a leaf blower. I mean, you know, right, maybe they're, right. they're not made in the United States. They're, yep. they're just, we don't make them here. We all make them in China. So there was a tariff right now. So there might come a point where the U.S. trade representative says we don't need tariffs on those anymore because the Americans companies never decided to make those in all these years. And so right. forget, it. let's just get rid of them. So that that might happen under Biden in, in the months ahead. But overall, the big tariffs remain. Um, you also had cases against Chinese solar companies that were at first favorable for the Chinese, but now seem to be, you know, more or less in favor of of the United States manufacturing, meaning U.S. base, right? Because a lot of companies that produce solar here are actually Chinese companies, to be honest. Um, And of course, under Biden, you had capital market restrictions. So Trump started that, whereas if you're a BlackRock, you couldn't invest in a, you know, a missile manufacturer in China, which made sense. You could not do that. Uh, Trump said you couldn't believe it or not. Wall Street was investing in those companies. Right. Right. Now, now you can't. Biden maintained that and added some names to it. And Biden also increased some export restrictions. So if you're Intel and you want to sell a computer hardware, computer hardware to Huawei or whatever, you have to ask permission from commerce. Commerce, 90 percent of the time says, OK, you can do it. But the restrictions are still there, you know. So I mean, you know, we, could, we could say that Biden has kept has kept that it, it, uh kept that tack, right? He's right. kept the same tack as, as, as Trump. Um, our guest is uh, Ken Raposa. Again, he's an industry analyst, especially, uh, among other things, and a journalist at the Coalition for a Prosperous America. Um, does the um, Is China's economy in trouble? I, I mean, we hear that every now and then. People say it's in trouble, yeah. but it, it, mm-hmm. it, they have control over it. It's not, that's, not a, that's not a true story. Look, Chinese economy is absolutely in trouble. And let me tell you a, a few of the reasons why it's in trouble. The United States has, because of the tariffs, a lot of companies, including Mr. Tim Cook, are looking to move their manufacturing outside of China instead. Some right. companies that you and I have never heard of, they're just some widget maker or whatever it may be, have and they, they've talked to their Chinese contractor and the Chinese contractor that makes the widget said, well, I don't want to be imposed with these tariffs. I don't want to be imposed with these export bans because of the Uyghur Forced Labor Act, right? For example. Right. right how right. about if I how about if you we make the product in my factory in Vietnam? Right. Okay. Yep. So China. So that's that's great for that particular Chinese contractor. His his business is still maybe doing well. It's still his company, right? It's 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 Ken and Ed's company in and Guangzhou. But <laughs> now the five hundred workers we had making that widget, they're not doing that anymore because it's all unless they move to Vietnam. Right. That's all Vietnamese guys doing it. So there is a big problem in China with that. And you will look at even with the Chinese trade deficit, I mean, the U.S.-China trade deficit is even a little smaller, still uh-huh. high. And it's going to end the year at about 380, 400 billion. So still very high. But um, it's it's come down, you know. And so you're looking at, let's say you trimmed 30, 40 billion off that trade deficit. Well, one of the reasons for that is because a lot of companies are now sourcing from Vietnam and Mexico right, instead right, of China. Right. That's a great loss to China. And we all know that the number one thing that matters to the Chinese Communist Party is full employment. We don't right. care if you're making stuff, making a widget, and you just throw it in a pile in a shed and no one buys it. We don't care. What we care about is that you're, you're working. You're, you're okay, working, yeah. Nothing. 
Yeah, then let's not forget too, Ed. Right, you had you had all during these COVID years. China was insane with COVID, right? They had the right. zero COVID policy, where a lot of times you had lockdowns at ports and lockdowns in in Shanghai. And so, if you're you're a contractor and you're ordering a product from there, you're saying, "I can't rely on these guys anymore. I got to get it from somewhere else." Let's let's just try Vietnam. So so China ended up shooting themselves in the foot also hmm. with COVID. You know, and then of course you got yeah. the story, which is another. All right, problem. Ken. I'm unfortunately I'm out of time. Ken Repose, I've got to go. I got him up against a break. I'll get yelled at by the producer. Uh, and uh, I will put up on social media a link. Prosperousamerica.org is where uh, the Coalition for a Prosperous America has a bunch of resources. Again, it's uh, Ken Raposa uh, and uh, a great insight, that idea that it's two against one, China and uh, Wall Street slash Silicon Valley versus uh, we the people. Uh, interesting. Uh, uh, and Ken is going to write about that. So we'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative perspective since 1983, continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. By the time the children leave elementary school, they should be able to define sexual orientation. And by the eighth grade, they should be able to define emergency contraception and its use. That's what's recommended in the so-called National Sexuality Education Standards Report, written by a bunch of academics and public education officials. They make no bones about announcing their controversial views. They believe that comprehensive sexuality education should start in kindergarten and continue through the 12th grade. Now, the rationale for these views about sex education in the public schools is that there is a pressing need to address harassment, bullying, and relationship violence in our schools. So they argue that standards should be introduced in kindergarten, and by the second grade, kids should be able to identify different kinds of family structures and demonstrate ways to show respect for different types of families. By the time kids are age seven, they're supposed to be using proper names for body parts, including male and female anatomy. By the fifth grade, when most children are age 10, they should be able to define sexual orientation as the romantic attraction of an individual to someone of the same gender or a different gender. By the time kids finish middle school, they're supposed to be able to explain the health benefits and effectiveness of various methods of contraception and describe the steps to using a condom correctly. The authors of this controversial report complain that too little time is devoted to instruction in HIV, pregnancy, and STD prevention, and they say they certainly do not want the schools to have any abstinence-only programs. Parents, if your children are in public school, you'd better check it out and see if this kind of sex education is being taught to your children. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. If you're busy taking notes, you can stop now because these commentaries in written form and spoken audio are archived on the website phyllisschlafly.com, many recorded by Mrs. Schlafly herself. If you're doing research or missed a day, just go to phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and re-listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back to the Pro-America Report. We're here to wrap things up. End of the show. This is Ryan Height sitting in today for Ed Martin. Glad to be here with you. Uh, we've still got a little bit to talk about. There's uh, something I wanted to bring to your attention. Uh, it's a little bit of new news, old news. It's a little combination, but I think it's still ex- incredibly relevant and important for us to understand and see the scope of what's happening. Uh, but uh, before we get there, before we get to our uh, wrap-up for the day, I want to make sure I point you again to ProAmericaReport.com, also PhyllisSchlafly.com. If you get over to Pro AmericaReport.com. You'll find Ed's Substack. You'll want to subscribe to that email list. Make sure you get what he's writing about. Uh, but then also PhyllisSchlafly.com is where you can find all of the archives. All of the archives. In fact, I was just marveling the other day at just how big the archives are of not not just the Phyllis Schlafly archives, which I know you hear Ed and I talk about this frequently, our day job here at Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, but the archives of the Ed Martin Pro-America Report, or before that, the Ed Martin Movement. You may have been with us long enough to remember that early show name, but this kind of uh, quality content and sharp uh, getting into the issues has been going on for a number of years now. It's all there. Go to phyllislafley.com. You can find it all. The podcasts, the guests, standalones, all of the show notes and the links and the resources, and even best, you can sign up for the email list there at phyllislafley.com. It's a goodie. You want to do it, head on over and do that. But uh, without any further interruptions or stonewalling or self-promotion, let's get into it. Uh, something that you may not have seen, uh, but we're starting to see the results of the USA Cycling uh, USA Cycling uh, organization. They put down new transgender athlete participation policies it went into effect in July, and we are really starting to see the results of that in competitions this fall, uh, October, November, especially. There were some big stories that really just kind of went under the radar. I see them start to come back up again, but I think this is important to bring up because we are seeing come. True, what was predicted that uh, this would happen, and of course, the, oh, that's ridiculous. The, uh, the the left says that would never happen. You're just crazy. They're they're crazy talking. Guess what? It's happening. Men are competing in women's events, and they are winning. They are beating women. They are in fact beating women almost entirely off the podium at these events uh, in women's cycling in the USA women's cycling and it's disturbing what's more disturbing though is that some of the women like it <laughs> it really is odd uh, we had uh, we had one this weekend there was um, uh, a race I, I'm sorry not this weekend I saw one story this weekend reaching back to October 7 a race that took place in Chicago the Chicago Cyclocross Cup uh, took place over uh, the weekend in oh wait a minute no I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry uh, the, the, this was a, a race that took place this weekend it also reaches back though there was another one that took place in october and regardless of the timing of when it was uh two individuals two you know transgender individuals men uh, identifying as women took first and second place in this race and it was by you know a, a pretty decent um a pretty decent gap here and what's really disturbing about this to me it's not only that all of these things we've said would come true are coming true about men competing in and just destroying women's sports uh, across the board in all of these different areas not just professional sports but uh college sports and and everything in between but what's really kind of um disturbing is that some of these uh young women who are being disenfranchised, who are receiving the slight here, are 
actually okay with it. In fact, they're celebrating it. This this specific race I'm talking about here in Chicago, um, the third place said that uh, she was invigorated by it. And I'm paraphrasing here. I don't have her exact quote in front of me, but I read it a couple of different places. She said she was invigorated by it, that the competition was stronger for it, and she was happy for them to be participating, and it made her feel really good. Really? The, the only legitimate, actual biological woman who competed in the race is receiving the bronze medal and feels good about it. We, this is something that we need to understand. Not only are all of these things coming true, this, this awful and atrocious encroachment upon women's sports, all these things are coming true that we warned about and we feared about. They're happening. But the young women out there who are being brainwashed uh, through the higher education system and through all of culture around them that this kind of thing is okay, they're okay with it. They're actually celebrating it. Um, we're headed for some hard times ahead. This is really uh, pretty disturbing. And I, I think this is something that there, there's a, a second. I've seen several folks make the, the comment. In fact, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, he he made the comment that the mental health epidemic has reached new heights. Uh, posting this article, not just two men taking the top podium spots in the women's single speed category at this championship uh, uh, Illinois state competition, but that the third place uh, on the podium, the actual first place biological female she's okay with it she's in fact excited and happy about it um we really have put ourselves into an incredible position by letting it go this far and i know that um, we do not control the ivory towers of academia and uh, media we have lost those battles and must get them back but i tell you what let this be our clarion call that it has to happen it has got to happen folks because quite literally we've we've warned that you know the elites uh across media and education and government and this and that they're going to do to us what they want and impose the agenda they want upon us and we will like it guess what there are a lot of young people out there who've been deceived and brainwashed and they're liking it they are enjoying it because they have not heard the truth they have not been raised and correctly indoctrinated in the truth and the understanding, and that's up to us. So I hate to be bleak, but uh, I'm going to post a couple of links here. This is something I think we need to know about. There's your wrap-up. Uh, you need to understand that the the full effects of this uh, men entering women's sports in the transgender era, so-called transgender era, it's coming to full fruition. There it is. Uh, so I hate to leave you with it, but that's what we're going to have to leave you with. Until tomorrow, go to ProAmericaReport.com, PhyllisSchlafly.com, pick up all of the past segments and podcasts don't forget to sign up for the email address uh, or the email list and then again thank you for being here for being a regular listener thank you to ed for leading the show and thank you to mason my co-producer for helping me keep everything on time and running we appreciate all of you and we appreciate you dear listeners so much uh, we look forward to seeing you again here on another edition of the pro america report we'll talk to you tomorrow everyone Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.